there, and welcome back to the Sounds Curious podcast. And listeners today, we don't feel very adventurous. It's funny in a week that I look forward to very much because we had a great interview planned. I suddenly found myself unable to do anything when news on Sunday broke that a young man had gone into a gay club and shot up a bunch of people. Well, it just kind of stalled us out. So today, our show is remarkably off the cuff. And despite my overwhelming desire to edit my comments, I'm just going to leave this raw. I don't want to take the time to try and cut the emotion out of my voice because there's no way I could accomplish that in this moment. So we here at Sounds Curious want to listen deeply. And that includes listening deeply to our own responses in this world. So as much as I would love to revel in interesting topics, today there seems to be no more pressing issue than this one. So, in a moment, in America, certainly, when it becomes all too easy to become accustomed to this cycle of violence and shock and outrage, followed very closely by the same old infighting. It seems a moment to take advantage of whatever soapbox you have for yourself and actually do something. So we're suspending regular programming this week here at Banshee Media. And we're going to turn our attention to a subject that has been near and dear for more than three decades now, at least to me. And that is the history of the LGBTQ and everybody communities, which is a lot older and a lot stranger than we might think. 
And while it might be an overwhelmingly difficult time to talk about these things because we're grieving. I'm grieving in particular today because of not just the violence and the horror and the outrage of recent events, but because I've seen something in the media which followed that's all too familiar, the erasing of homophobia in the wake of what can only be considered a homophobic attack. I am not trying to be political here, people. I'm just calling it like I see it. People have been killing LGBTQ people for a really long time, right on their home turf. And when I found out that this particular shooting was in a gay club, I knew all too well who was there. I have frequented more gay clubs in my life than I can even count on more continents and more cultures. And if there ever was a definition of a safe place to be who you were, even in the battle days when being who you were got you killed on the street. And I do not mean to say that those battle days are gone. Brothers and sisters, queer people, trans people are being attacked and killed on our streets every single day. And even after the shootings in Paris and the shootings in San Bernardino and all of these places, that I have spent considerable amount of time, and I don't say that because this is about me, I say that because I know how these places smell. Who's there? I know the joy of these places. And when you take that into what was one of the first cultural safe spaces I ever knew, It's a pretty overwhelming feeling. Now, I'm not saying I go to gay clubs every weekend. But they represent something and have for a really long time. And to see this horror get subsumed into a larger dialogue about terrorism hides a multitude of sins. So we're going to take a moment here and we're going to tell a tale. We're going to tell a tale that I learned several decades ago about one of the first liberation movements for gay, lesbian, bisexual, and trans people that started in the middle of the 19th century. Well, toward the end of it, but anyway. Yeah, the height of the Victorian era. I want to tell you about that movement and what happened. I want to tell you because we have such a short attention span. 
And knowing what happened a hundred years ago to the founder of the first modern gay rights movement in the West seems really important right now. Spoiler alert. The founder of this movement was one of the first people to be run out of Nazi Germany and his library and his lifetime of research into all manner of sexualities was burned. So today we start in Berlin. And we're starting in Berlin to tell the story of Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld. He was born on the 14th of May in 1868. He was an Ashkenazi Jew who was born in the town of what was then Kohlberg. Now it's in Poland. Again, he was born an Ashkenazi Jew, the son of a very highly regarded physician. He studied a good liberal arts undergraduate program in philosophy and philology, and then studied medicine. And for years, Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld balanced practicing medicine with research into human sexuality. In fact, he was one of the first sexologists, a term we associate now with folks like Kinsey. But this was a long time before that. Come to find out much later, of course, that Dr. Hirschfeld was most likely homosexual himself. But nonetheless... In 1897, Dr. Hirschfeld founded the Scientific Humanitarian Committee with Max Spohr and a few other folks. This particular group tried to research and defend the rights of what were known at the time as sexual intermediate types. This include homosexuals, most notably, as well as transsexuals. And they wanted to repeal a section of the German penal code that was established in 1871 that had criminalized homosexuality. Now, there's a few startling things about that statement. The first one is that that he founded this committee just a few decades after homosexuality had been declared illegal. We often are confused in our history. Um, we think or project ourselves backwards onto cultural history. So when I used to tell my students in music history that in the Middle Ages, for instance, there's plenty of research to support the fact that homosexuals intersexed and transsexual people, or at least transgendered people, were more common than we might think. And there were 
culturally accepted ways for those folks to be accepted into the larger society. Sure, everybody talks about the Greeks, but the Greeks really weren't anything new. Homosexuality is found in many species beyond Homo sapiens. So, yes, it's a part of our culture, but how we handle it has changed radically. How interesting to think back to the Middle Ages that we assume with darkness and and ignorance we're just full of superstition and terror. But at the same time, the worst sin to someone in the Middle Ages was not your sexual sins. Those were pretty much expected. The worst sin you could commit in a medieval society was to appear greedy. How ironic to find myself in a culture that persecutes so many for what, to the medieval mind, was considered beyond our control. In other words, how we were born. Gives you a new spin on the Dark Ages, doesn't it? So, homophobia. Really important word to say out loud right now. Queerphobia misogyny, all of the things that come together to allow terror to happen. We did not inherit those from history exclusively. We continue to make those choices. So returning to Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld, the year is 1897, and he forms the Scientific Humanitarian Committee. Now, there's a lot of things that this particular committee assumed like that gay men were always effeminate. These things we know now are not true. And I want to take a moment and point out that all these categories that I'm referring to, homosexual, heterosexual, bisexual, pansexual, transgender, intersexed, asexual, every category is a created one. Now the reason that I point out the interest that homosexuality was criminalized in the German Penal Code in 1871 is because if we consider for a moment the work of Michel Foucault in his three-volume History of Sexuality or his memoirs of Herculean Barbin, We understand that the 19th century was really the moment in which categories of sexuality were institutionalized, were established. And a lot of that was motivated 
by trying to establish what normal was. The 19th century saw in the West, certainly Western Europe, the United States, a huge increase in awareness of the world through industrialization and most notably colonialization. And in the panic of a society confronted with intimate knowledge of how other people lived in the world, they needed to establish what normal was for them. So this is largely a European issue in the 19th century. What is normal sexuality? Now, how does that impact us in the wake of the violence at the Pulse nightclub? First and foremost, we have to understand that in our culture, people who are configured as outside the norms of heteronormativity are only that so that heteronormative people can feel normal. Notice the word normative right in there. So why does it matter to us that Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld established this committee, began researching into homosexuality, transgendered, and intersexuality, It was important because it was against the backdrop of a society that needed to feel these things were far outside the norm. There had to be a firm boundary between normal people and everyone else. Because in Western Europe and the United States, North America, during the Victorian era, these things mattered. So we inherited a rigid idea of sexuality from the 19th century, and many in the middle of the 20th believed it to be correct for all time. Forget all of the important evidence to the contrary. People needed to believe that these perverts were perverted. When history shows us, it's a hell of a lot closer to the mainstream than it would at first appear. So in the deafening and overwhelming silence of death, I think back to the moments in my own life when the work of Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld gave me comfort. I came out in 1985 as a lesbian and moved to New York City shortly thereafter with my best gay male friend 
who's still in New York City, by the way. And together we encountered a gay community that was in absolute agony. All the amazing artists that I met, the generation ahead of me, were dying. And the government didn't even say the word AIDS. They wouldn't even say the word. Good people with good intentions felt perfectly justified in saying that the perverts were getting punished by God. This was the community I stepped into at the ripe old age of 21. I hadn't even met the friends that would pass away yet. So many I was denied the opportunity ever to even meet. My girlfriend at the time was 15 years older than me, so she knew all too well. And I watched the enormous suffering and I watched the rest of the world cover it up, ignore it, be completely silent at a moment when everything in my soul was screaming. And I carry that experience with me to this day. And no amount of celebration over gay marriage no amount of progress can wipe these memories from our collective history. I speak about coming out in the mid eighties in New York, like it was hard and it was, but at the same time, my friends who are some 20, 30 years older than me, who came out in places like Oklahoma, they're the heroes I look up to. In my mind, they're the ones who had it hard. In my early days, I had the great pleasure to meet one of the original Stonewall drag queens, whose name was Marsha P. Johnson. And on a day when it's very important to hear names, no matter how hard it is to speak them, I speak this name. The first time I saw Marsha P. Johnson, it was a summer day in 1986, and my roommate, my gay best friend, and I were off to job interviews. We lived in the East Village. Johnny in his suit, 
and me in whatever my poor ass could put together at the time. We're off to get a job. And Marsha P. That splendor of drag queen and prostitute and panhandler asked us for money and told my friend how handsome he looked. We knew who she was. And we felt like we had just met a hero. Just passing in the street, it was one of those moments when you feel like you've met the biggest celebrity of your life. And for us, (laughs) it was Marsha P. I have to tell you that her middle initial P stood for pay it no mind. And at her funeral, for she was found off the Christopher Street docks, drowned in the early 1990s. The police called it a suicide, but we, we knew better. We knew it was a murder. At her funeral, pay it no mind, resonated. So, from Magnus Hirschfeld, homosexual, Ashkenazi Jew, doctor, sexologist, and researcher, forced to leave Germany, whose library was sacked and burned by the Nazis in the early 1930s. To Marsha P. Johnson, African-American drag queen, lady of the evening, and hero to many. Murdered, most likely, and found in the water off the Christopher Street piers where she used to work. Because if anything is true, of the modern movements for civil rights in many cultures. It is that the story of how the individuals, the individual members of those communities, the million acts of rebellion and defiance in the face of a state machine that would rather kill you and not have to deal with you, then figure out how to welcome you in. I know that Marsha P. and Magnus H. had an awful lot in common. Something they share with the individuals who went out for a great night and never made it home. They found a million ways 
to be defiant, to rise up and be who they are, who they were. In the face of a society that would rather pathologize them, us, then look at the mere fact that we've always been here and we always will be. And because in the past we've been denied any real political power, the capital that we've created is cultural and spiritual. It's knowing how to support one another across the racial, gender, and cultural differences that divide everybody else. In the light of the disco ball when it is spinning, anyone who dances under it is welcome. That's what the disco's for. It doesn't matter how you got there. You will be welcomed with open arms. So, in this moment in which we add names to the list of hallowed martyrs, that have fought and died for people to have the right to live and love as they are. I want to leave you with something to do that isn't participate in an endless and unending cycle of accusation and recrimination on both sides of gun laws in the United States at least. At this moment that is not nearly as important to me as leaving you with something to do. So whether you have ever had to come out yourself or anyone who is close to you who you love has come out or you haven't. I leave you with two shining examples. One from the 19th century and early 20th century Berlin. The other from the West Village of New York. One a renowned international researcher. An early fighter for the rights of all sexualities and all genders. To a drag queen and activist and as anyone who ever had the honor to meet her will tell you, force of nature that was Marsha P. Johnson. 
I leave you with two thoughts. On Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld's tomb is inscribed the motto, Percientium ad Justinium, through science to justice. And Marsha P. Johnson, who could in the face of a society that had no category for her, could simply say to everyone, pay it no mind. I encourage you to watch the film I just discovered was made with interviews of Marsha P. Johnson called Pay It No Mind. I couldn't make this stuff up. I also discovered that Marsha P. has her own wiki page, and I will link to all of those things in the show notes. And I would encourage you also to watch the 1919 film in which Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld was consultant which was the first film ever made which advocated for homosexual rights and decriminalization. It's called Different from All the Others, and I'll link to that as well. In a moment when the ranks of martyrs have grown so swiftly, take comfort in the lives and the achievements and the overwhelming glory of our predecessors, know that we stand on the shoulders of giants. And those giants were often in high heels. Learn about these things. See how the Nazis destroyed Magnus Hirschfeld's research in one fell swoop and see how easily Marsha P. Johnson's candle could be extinguished not to increase your suffering but to understand how far we've come how many have given their lives we have no choice but to carry on and to not be silent. And so we return to ACT UP's chant of the 1980s, silence equals death. And its opposite, action equals life. And when you're done crying, pick yourself up whether you're an out and proud citizen or an ally or a friend. Don't be silent. Don't ever give up. And pay it no mind. Oh, thank you for your love. Thank you for your love. 1969 when the 
of human rights. You're black, you're acting as a female. The law's against you, society's against you, everything is against you in those days. Marsha was having a very rough time and sat there and just said, you know, I don't know if I should take a shower or go to Bellevue. And I think she took a shower. Marsha was a subculture within a subculture. It didn't bother her, she didn't hide from it. You know, she met it, she, she met it head on. Roy was a young hooker, 18 years old when I met him, and he mentioned Marsha, that he went to the village and hung out with Marsha. And I said, I don't think Marsha's the kind of person you should want to hang out with. Marsha, when I saw her in the flower, just getting crowned holy by people from India. She knows something that I don't know. I met Marsha on Christopher Street, and the first time I saw her, I said, is it this person? I remember seeing Marsha walk down the street in a miniskirt that he had made with nothing on underneath, and it was clearly see-through. Clearly. And she'd be coming up Christopher Street with the roll-down stockings, fuzzy slippers, her wig and beer can rollers. Hello, everybody. What a wonderful morning. Over the top with the jewelry, flowers in her hair, very creative looking, very commanding of attention, not wanting to get it, but just getting it anyway. I always remember knowing Marsha P. Johnson. I must have known her before I was nine or 10 maybe younger. She would hang out with my father a lot in the kitchen. I remember them spending a lot of time talking in the kitchen. And when my father would leave, if he would leave to go do an errand or if he would leave to do something, she would stay with me. So in some ways, I guess you could say Marsha P was a babysitter of mine. Uh, Marsha's like a Bodhisattva. Her presence on Sheridan Square or on Christopher Street or wherever she stopped and asked for spirit change or chatted with people. It was a religious, holy experience. And all of us who did drag or partial drag always admired her and thought of her as a, a patron saint. She had this kind of glow about her. She's like an angel. Her spirit shined through her. My father thought that her heart was in the right place, that she was someone to be trusted. I mean, she, she'd always take five bucks, but she would always say, and, and I'm gonna give you back 20, Tony. And she meant it. She meant it because she had a generous heart and a generous spirit, but also because she was convinced she was going to get this billionaire boyfriend, and she was going to be living great with him. Marsha was one of those colorful New York characters that you would see bouncing around the piers or the village in plastic and lame and glittery things and hoop earrings. And I always wondered who was that, and she always said hello. And I did a little research at the time, and it turned out she wasn't just a kook. She was a serious activist and entertainer. She floored every audience. They just adored her. And I kept wondering, what the hell is it? When I think of Marsha P. Johnson, I think of someone who kids today who are gay know nothing about, which is a shame, really, because she's one of the reasons. They are sitting in all their liberated glory today. But uh, Marsha paid the price she was. Gentlemen, in case you didn't get the message, but I know you did, because I can see that this audience is the message. Someone to sum it up for you, Miss Marsha P. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am stay at home for you called self. Oh, what? So, you can 
come at Nirvana is your goal. You can shake and you can rattle. You can rock and roll. You can be a Clark Kent or a Lois or an Alice down the hall. You can be a vampire on a mountain with the heart of stone black coal. You can be a leather angel on a sleek black holly bike. Uh -huh. Or a redhead screaming faggot or a dazzling giant. You can lock yourself in a closet in a fine stove, but it really doesn't matter if you ain't got something.